Hi there, it's Elizabeth, and I have a great episode for you today as I'll be speaking with Cheryl Goldhart, who has been a family lawyer for almost four decades. You are going to walk away with so many great takeaways, but before we dive in, there's something else I want to share with you. You've likely heard me talk a fair bit about our retreat in Costa Rica. I just came back two and a half weeks ago, and I'm still buzzing with what a life-changing experience this was for everyone. A one-week retreat in Costa Rica. It was beautiful. In fact, it was so great that the next one in March of 2024 is almost sold out already. But today, I want to invite you to come to a more intimate and deeper experience here at my home. This will be the fourth time I run a retreat here, and I can't wait to do it again. It's a really small group, so it's truly an intimate coaching experience. As always, when you work with me, the goal is connection with ourselves and self-love, taking the time to go away even for a couple of days, leaving the grind and the worries at home. It creates a space within us for growth and learning and healing. We talk, we journal, meditate, we do yoga overlooking the lake and eat beautiful meals prepared by our very own private chef. You won't have to do a dish or even think about what to eat. How nice is that? If you are feeling that you could use a little guidance, some self-love and time for yourself, time with friends, new friends, then this weekend is really for you. I have seen time and time again the power of women gathering. We share, support, love and witness each other and yes, celebrate the new life you are creating for yourself. All the information is below in the show notes. So I hope you'll join us June 16th to 18th here at my lake home, Ontario, Canada for a weekend of rising, rising into the woman you were always meant to be. Hello and welcome back to another episode. I am so grateful to be allowed into your headset and day to day. My name is Elizabeth and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner and founder of The Separation Club, which is the club you never wanted to be part of, but the best club to be in if you're going through separation and divorce. Here we talk about how to heal, move forward, and find love if you're so inclined. Also, motherhood through divorce, finding yourself and creating the life you deserve. Our tools are community, sisterhood, honesty, vulnerability, spirituality, coaching, retreats, and that's when we aren't talking to experts. I'm also a divorced mother of four adult sons, remarried, and a stepmom to three, so we will be talking about everything that goes with all of that here. If you are recently separated, thinking of separating, divorcing, or even beyond your divorce but still feeling it, then this is the podcast for you. Today is one of those weeks where I am speaking with someone else. Um, I am interviewing Cheryl Goldhart, who is a family lawyer and has been one for almost four decades. Her knowledge, her experience is vast, and we have a very good practical conversation about navigating the legal part of a divorce and managing your relationship with your lawyer, your interactions, saving money, you know, how to get through this in a way that feels aligned with what's right for you and what's right for your family and so much more. So Cheryl has practiced exclusively in the area of family law for more than 30 years. She specializes in negotiating complex agreements encompassing all areas of family law and litigates at all levels of courts in Ontario, Canada, including the Court of Appeal. Recently, Cheryl successfully argued a child support case at the Supreme Court of Canada. She is an accomplished OAFM accredited family mediator and a certified family law arbitrator by the ADR Institute of Ontario. She's also a fellow with the International Academy of Family Lawyers. Cheryl is a past member of the panel of the Children's Lawyer of Ontario representing children in custody, access, and child protection cases. She was a family law instructor for the Bar Admission Course of the Law Society of Upper Canada and is a very frequent lecturer on various topics in family law. Over the years of practice, Cheryl has written numerous articles for the Bar Admission Course, professional journals, periodicals, and magazines. Cheryl is the only family lawyer in Ontario to be awarded the Lexbird Zenith Award. She was certified as a 
as a best lawyer in Canada for family law since 2008. In 2016, Cheryl was awarded the OBA Award for Excellence in Family Law. We are so lucky to have her here and let's just dive right in. It's so long ago since we talked, but I remember that you are tremendously qualified in so many things. I'm pretty kind of go off the cuff and talk about whatever kind of person. Is there anything in particular you'd like to share, like you'd like to talk about? I've been thinking a lot about family law in, 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 especially since COVID and how COVID really affected all of us. And it certainly affected um, uh, families and people going through um, either a difficult time in their marriage or actually may have been separated recently. Maybe they're still in the house together and then COVID hits. And it was um, an unbelievably busy time for family lawyers. And it sort of brought out the worst in people, COVID. Um, some, sometimes it brought out the best in people, depending on, on what the issue was. And I actually think that people work together in that crisis a lot better than, um, particularly at the beginning, than I would have expected, because they had no choice. They, it was sort of this this emergency that happened. But as it dragged on, I think people really behaved poorly. I yeah. think um, they, they, you know, their, their uh, issues and disputes were magnified. Um, and uh, the lawyers were worn out, the judges were worn out. So, you know, the more and more I've been looking at this, um, and thinking about it, having done it for almost four decades, and dealing with people in this space that um you know there's got to be a better way i know i sound like someone on um shark's den or something but um it there really does need some and i don't know what that is necessarily um but um it it really has um it's changed over time i think the disputes that people have over legal issues in the middle of their matrimonial case can take on a life of its own and cost people sometimes everything they have, um, everything they have. And so both sides are starting at zero. Some people don't care um, because they're so angry at the other side that they, you know, they will care at the end of the day when they realize they have nothing. But, um, you know, people in the moment are taking positions out of anger, revenge, sadness, whatever array of emotions they have. And, um, directing it to the dispute that they're having, whether it's their kids or it's about money. And it's really, really destructive. And I don't think there's any magic. I don't think collaborative law is the answer. I don't, for everybody, I don't think, you know, having some other system necessarily will meet everybody's, um, uh, you know, will answer everybody's problems either. But uh, I think if there's some, people are mindful about what they're getting into and realistic and, um, also owning their part in the process. Uh, many people will go into their lawyer's office and sort of go, here, you fix it, and aren't uh, aren't participating, either because they're too intimidated. You know, many, many, in the old days where, you know, most lawyers, and in particular family lawyers, were all men, you know, in the the late to you know, nineteen um, hundreds where where it was not nineteen like nineteen ninety and nineteen eighty, almost every family lawyer was an older man, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of women in particular, and some men actually, were just very intimidated by these bright and uh, strong um, individuals who they were sometimes scared of, and yeah. women in particular were afraid to ask a question. And I, I would like to be very clear before I say. Like we're a service provider. I yeah. am no different than the person you pay for to come and clean your house or to change uh, the battery in your car or to, uh, you know, do your accounting. Like it's, I'm a service provider that yeah. you're paying really, really good money for, but you're the boss. You give me instructions. I give you advice. I may tell you that what you're doing is stupid or Stupid, and but, probably you know, not to use those words. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I, 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 you know, and sometimes people do things that are that word and are really, really, are really not good for them, not good for their kids, not good for the other side uh, or their spouse and do really 
you know, things that are not thought through. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you're not getting along with your lawyer or you feel that your lawyer isn't paying attention to you or not giving you good, you got to go get another opinion. Yeah. You know, there certainly is a number of us out there. There's lots and lots of us out there. And, you know, if you're not like, I don't get along with every professional I, I hire and you just change. If I don't like yeah. the decorator or I don't like the accountant I use or I don't like the doctor I have. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm going to um, look around and, and find somebody that meets my needs and, Absolutely. To not be, and not to be embarrassed or self-conscious about that. Like, you're the boss. Well, it's too important of a time in your life. Like the, the decisions that are being made and the advice that you're getting is is hugely important and impactful for years or potentially decades in the rest of your life financially and with regards to your relationships with your children and everything like that. And I want to continue this conversation. I love that we've actually just jumped in. So I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. going to like, we've started. Um, so I just want to take a moment, Cheryl, just to say welcome. And, and I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm looking forward to diving in deeper to this conversation. So thank you for being here with me today. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. And I and I want to get I want to get back into the conversation that you just started. Um, you know, it's funny because the other day I was talking to my husband and I was just I was kind of lamenting about or complaining, if you will, is probably actually the truer word, about how unkind um couples are to each other when they divorce often. Mm-hmm. And I find it so incredibly sad that two people who, first of all, were in love enough to get married, to possibly decide then to have children together and did so happily for a while can turn around and be so cruel to each other, which they really are, both parties. This, this is not, you know, and I'm not even talking about abusive and these kind mm-hmm. of imbalanced situations. I'm just talking about, you know, a couple who, you know, maybe one person has an affair and the other person's hurt and suddenly names go around and labels of abuse are attached and that person doesn't deserve time with the children. And and this, these, this incredibly emotionally charged um, and then somewhat, justified um bad behavior really steps forward and and i just i guess i found myself saying to him like that's what i want to change i would like to if i could even find a handful of people who don't want to go through it like that and help them switch off that anger button for two minutes and make a logical decision that is actually better for themselves for their ex and their children like how do we do that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's how we turn off emotions. What it, it's all—it's actually the underlying emotions that are going yeah. on. And um, what I find—and this is totally anecdotal—what I find is the more passionate and in love the parties were in their marriage or in their their love affair that they had, the more difficult they like that. Yeah. Like love and hate are, are, it may not be the same side of the coin. It's, it's the people who just sort of look at each other and say, this isn't working anymore. Yeah. Like, we're not happy. The kids are gone. This is not working. And they're both sort of at that same stage of, of uh, come to the decision around the same time. And, you know, the stages of grief. Um, death and dying and grief and, and we use the same type of stages where first there's denial and then yep, um, yep. anger and 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 bargaining and etc and depression and then finally acceptance um, so if people are sort of at the same place that they've gone along they know things aren't great but they're sort of you know they've turned into roommates those are the people that are it's easy peasy it's even for their kids yep. they will work something out the people who had that love affair, madly in love, the other person was the one for at least the period of time that they were, those are the people who turn that passion into a, a hate passion. And it's and it's it's very obvious who those people are. Um, also, when there is a breach of uh, trust, it like an affair, um, even though it has virtually no um, place in our uh, system for a, so t- some type of compensation for that. Like it's just not relevant in almost any part of of our process because we're in a no fault divorce system. You're seeing people who are truly terribly hurt and needing time and needing healing, but their spouse may be 
like in a different place altogether. They're going, yeah, well, how about the money? How about the kids? How about the this? Come to the table. I'm suing you. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And and it's it's very difficult for those people. Well, you know, I, I work a lot of with, so I work with women and um, and I, I accept that, of course, men who are um, betrayed feel just as awful. I, and so I'm not, I'm, I don't want to position this as only men cheat. I know mm-hmm. that that's not true. Um, but anyway, I, as someone who works with women, the, the thing that I see in the women who have been betrayed is there's this sense of, I don't know if entitlement is the right word, but it's almost like they're entitled to some kind of a punishment inflicted on the other person. And there's only two ways that they can go about punishing the other person. That is time with their children and is legally, financially, right? And I, it's so um, it's so destructive to the family unit to each other, including themselves, and it keeps them in the pain. And this is the thing I, I, you know, the legal system, that is not the place to have the battle and it doesn't change anything. He still cheated. He still is happy with his new partner. You know, nothing's going to change because you deprive him of his children, but now you're hurting your kids too. And it's trying to get that across to someone who's like, but there's got to be punishment. No, there doesn't have to be. The punishment is that he blew up his family and hurt his children, but you know, maybe he doesn't get punished it whether or not he's punished in whatever way is not the thing that will determine if you're going to be happy this woman's going to be happy going forward and that's the thing i really try to drive home it's like your happiness no matter what happens he could be hit by a bus tomorrow you can go punishment received you are still miserably unhappy because you have not come to terms with what happened and that's why it's really, really important. And I almost, I ask all of my clients, are you talking to someone like a professional therapist, social worker, whatever, um, you know, person to work through some of these emotions, which are really, really, really problematic and actually interfere with my process. Absolutely. I so fix that. I can't, I can't fix people's emotions and you can't be everything to everyone like it's just not possible you have one job and you know it's interesting I want to just dig into that a little bit because as someone who provides that support Mm -hmm. um, for these women or you know others like me provided for other people whatever that this support is available whether it's through a therapist a counselor or a coach like myself whoever you choose to go to um the pushback I get more than anything is oh I can't afford to pay you right now because I have my lawyer to pay Mm-hmm. And my argument, I always say it, they just never believe me, but I'd love to hear your response to this. I'll save you money with your lawyer because you won't go in there crying and spend the first 15 minutes, which will cost you 150 bucks, just talking about what your ex did yesterday or how sad you are or how angry you are, because we all do that. I did that until mm-hmm. I realized how it was affecting my bill. Yeah. And then the other thing is too, you'll you'll be able to, like you've dealt with all your emotions. By the time you walk into your lawyer's office or respond to the email or get the text from your ex, you've sorted out the head. Mm. You've sorted out things here. If nothing else, you can proceed with more, you know, more efficiently, more quickly, saves money. Mm. Um, you might be you might be digging yourself a hole by saying things you legally can get, you know, kind of hurt for, you know, so there's all these things, but they just, they just don't believe me. So I'd love to hear what you have to say. Like, can you tell when you someone come in who's getting help from the outside? Oh, absolutely. When someone is um, sort of uh, who who is coming in and and right at the separation, sometimes they don't. I don't see them right away, and mm-hmm. it takes some time um, that I'm seeing right away. Um, they're often a mess, and yeah. they they don't know what to do. It's this shock, whether it's a woman or a man, and um, you know it takes it's it's a skill to know how to deal with your lawyer. Like it's many people think, oh, you know, I'm going to this professional's office and they're going to tell me, but there's, there are things you can do. Like if you can't afford to speak to someone, see if you can get some subsidized um, therapy, see if you can go call one of the agencies. There's a number of agencies in, in communities that will yeah, your Mm -hmm. clergy are, are there'll be somebody there who's neutral, whether it's, you know, you know in any religion, they'll have that community centers. The, there are people there that can just hear you out yeah. and and get that rawness, you know, un, uh, sort of under control. You know, there'll be situations where there's, it's urgent, like there has been some violence there. Ha- so we need to deal with that right away because there's danger. 
But if there's not this um, fear of uh, someone's security and their well-being, and maybe their spouse is left and then their house with the kids and they're worried about money, you know, we can get to the 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 issue at hand much better if people have sort of worked through some of their emotions. They're not going to be able to work through what got them to that place and why the marriage ended, they may never know. Sometimes they don't know. Um, you know, and every person who, who you talk to who's they had had a reason why they um, separated would say, every person who's, whose spouse has left them, not every person, but this is, seems to be statistically, their spouse left them for another person. They all say, I wish we just had problems and that person wasn't there. The people who have just separate because they're having problems. I wish there could have been another woman or a man. So I, I could have someone to blame. I have someone to blame. Yeah. So it's, the grass is always greener and, and whoever it is, time does heal. Yeah. It, it really does heal. And using um, the resources available to you to get yourself in the right place will make you a better um, client and a better party in the in the negotiations with your spouse 100%. to be clear-headed and even in terms of how you interact with with your lawyer to be organized i have yeah. 10 questions write them down don't and and have one call with your lawyer don't have 10 you know exactly. when something comes in your oh, head i, I see this on your phone i and, see this to my clients all the time write your questions down and don't leave the office or the phone call until all your questions have been answered you know, don't, you're not bothering them. You've hired them. Like I tell them all these things that you're saying, right, you know, right, and right, exactly. And, and the thing is, advice. and that's advice that it literally saves some money. So like, it, to me, it's like you either spend it on your lawyer who can't really help you with the emotional part of it, or you spend it on both of us. Right. It's maybe it's, out, it's a wash, but at least you're getting help. Right. Right. And some people actually come in with someone. It's like going to the doctor who's going to give you a diagnosis. Uh, it's not a great diagnosis. I'm not going to tell people happy things necessarily. Um, it's, it's stressful. They don't absorb all the information. Sometimes having someone there, a, a trusted friend or a relative who can take notes, who can maybe be that neutral person. Like you don't want your mother who's going to be going and he's a this or a that. You want someone that's a trusted friend yeah. who you go to or a trusted relative that you go to for that common sense advice and not people that are going to be to, to rev you up. It doesn't help when I was on the phone just a couple of weeks ago, my, my client's the husband, but he had his mother, a young guy, and had his mother on the phone. I never liked her from the beginning. Like, so someone, <laughs> I, she was, I didn't like her from the day they got, you know, started going out. Well, how does that help? It just, that's not helpful. That's just her supporting him. Say that to him over dinner later. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, he didn't have to pay me to hear that. No. That was not, it was just not, I get it. Mom is, you know, she's a mama bird. She wants to take care of her little chick and wants to take care of him and make sure that, you know, uh, and it was an ugly, awful case. And the wife was making terrible, untrue allegations. And I didn't blame the mom for being upset. But at the same time, we've got it like, the, the legal system is ill-equipped. I got it for all these emotional issues. It's a blunt instrument. Yeah. Judges are not going to, you think you're going to get your day in court. You think that every tiny little issue and every tiny little email and discussion is somehow going to change your case. Judges don't have that kind of time. Judges, mediators, the lawyers, nobody has the time or the inclination to want to read every single text you've had with well and also the day in court um as much as people think that it's going to change everything and determine everything it doesn't half the time half the time there's more delays you know something wasn't submitted properly that has to be resubmitted um you know people don't comply there's so many parts of the family court system that are very broken and i really yeah. You know, I know I'm not the only one. I'm sure, in fact, those of you who work in it, this is not a lawyers are all wrong kind of statement, but, you know, it needs to be fixed or changed or overhauled in the way that that doesn't drain a family of all their financial resources. Yeah. You know, it, it it's somehow I think we're putting the blame in the wrong places. We blame our exes. We blame our lawyers. But it's it's not lawyers are just there to walk us through the system. It's about the court system, whether it's the backlog or 
who knows what it is, just antiquated laws. Um, there are so many circumstances now that have changed and that are people are more aware of. Uh, things like emotional abuse, for example, not being an accepted um, cause or thing to bring up into a, a, a marital dispute or a divorce. You know, I think that's a wonderful development, but I don't know that any of the judges or even a lot of the family lawyers are equipped to to actually manage a situation like that and represent their client well. And that it actually makes much of a difference unless they get in front of a trial judge. I, I don't know. You tell me how, how did this get implemented with the professionals who are supposed to take care of it? Well, our divorce act in Canada, um, our divorce act, which is federal was recently amended to include, um, the concept of family violence as a criteria for the court to look at in particular when they're dealing with children. And is there family violence and how is that affected the children and et cetera. And there's a much more of an awareness in uh, lawyers and the court about this type of family violence. In fact, as we speak, the court of appeal like today is hearing a case about the tort of uh, family violence. A lower court um, in Ontario, in Canada um, found that there was a tort, which is a wrong against a person's like negligence. So like when you have a car accident, uh, you sue someone for running into you. Here, you could sue for damages for an amount of money. The judge, the lower court judge said, who invented this uh, and made developed this tort, um, that, that there should be an additional payment when you talk about a sanction for the behavior, this was an additional payment that the husband was ordered to pay the wife to compensate her for everything she'd been through from a violence perspective, whether that's physical, there's always been the tort with the physical violence, but this was more of a, the violence that she had endured. So that case has now been appealed and it's being argued today at the Court of Appeal. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the Court of Appeal says. Um, what what that it's obviously really important that all lawyers and judges have training in intimate partner um, um, violence and intimate partner uh, imbalances. It, it there are there's imbalances in every relationship. Like yes. every relationship has imbalances. So to just say you know for families uh, or, or or spouses. Listen, you have your teacher and student, boss and employee. There's always imbalance yeah. of information, but this is a specific, you know, your your trusted partner is abusive to you. Yeah, like intimidation, um, overly controlling and obsessive behaviors, those kinds of things. All those, all mm -hmm. those, all that, uh, all that behavior that comes under the family violence type and financial abuse, huge, huge. Yeah. Huge yeah, issues. it's so prevalent. Yeah. I didn't realize until I got into this industry how prevalent yeah. that is. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's significant. And, and litigation abuse. So yes. using the court and the systems developed by the court in an abusive way. Yeah. So weaponizing things that we thought would be helpful, weaponizing the, the, the parent assessment, the parental assessment that, that assesses, you know, what the situation for the kids should be, the, the parenting schedule, the, um, you know, financially bringing lots of motions if and and other proceedings in the court. If one spouse, often the man, has more money and more resources, they may litigate the other one into the ground, sort of like the big insurance company litigating the little guy into the ground. That has happens a lot. There's not a lot of... Um, defenses to that more and more courts will say that a spouse the one spouse with the money should provide a payment to the other spouse to pay their um legal fees and accounting fees to to um to level the playing field and we're seeing more of those types of of uh orders being made um but it's it's it, it does get weaponized and i have found just and it's maybe just because I'm getting old and doing this a long time, but I found thing behaviors have been really worse since COVID. I don't know if it was going on Zoom, even to go to court with sweatpants on, I, you know, the, the courts didn't see and the people didn't see, but there was a, a lowering of the formality about it. And um, I don't know what the answer is quite yet, but 
if you think all your answers are going to be um, obtained by going to a trial and having some stranger, a judge who's never met you and never met your kids, and I'm only going to hear the evidence that has been filtered through lawyers and based on what admissible evidence is. So you may say, I heard that he said this, that, and then he's going to do this. Well, that's all hearsay. It's not coming in. Yeah, you know, no, I got I got it. caught up in that too. Things that I knew, but that I couldn't put in because right. the way that I'd heard it was not acceptable. Right. And yeah. so you know something and you know it to be true, but in a court of law, you have to jump through all these you have to prove very it, yeah. formal, yeah, former legalities. And what happens at a trial can be often very different than what you expect, just because how the evidence goes in and what is admissible evidence. And and the judges, although they're trained in in intimate partner imbalance and and um, and abuse and violence, they still have to follow the the rules, you know you're supposed to put in a form on a certain day. Will you get an extension? I mean, it becomes very dry legal matters. And, you know, you're worried about, you know, he's he's habitually bringing the kids home too late or too early, or he doesn't show up or whatever it is. And the, 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 the smaller the issues that drive you crazy, if you have a, a whole bunch of tiny little issues, be very difficult to manage them all in a courtroom. It's just, you're not going to get the kind of detail that you can negotiate with the other side and sit down, whether it's in two different rooms or it's with a mediator, to go through all the all the thing, things you need to do so that when a problem comes up in the future, because you're still going to have to, if you have children together, you're going to have to interact with this person yeah. for, for almost ever. So, so, so let me ask you, let me ask you this, um, for women, and again, I'm, I'm talking about women, yeah. Um, for women who are in a situation where perhaps there was financial abuse or there is a real unbalance or lack of balance when it comes to income and, you know, there's this intimidation of fear. So as they go into this journey, they know that the resources are way, they have way more resources on the other side. Um, what would be some advice as she goes into this, knowing she's dealing with an adversarial partner or ex now, someone who has way more resources, you know, how does she approach this part of her journey like how what yeah what are some tips you can give her first of all you want to have your lawyer who is a partner with you in going yeah. through this process who you need to listen to and who you need to trust so i often am interviewed um i call it the beauty contest um by people who will get referral like just don't you know just don't uh, pick the person who comes first in the, you know, the, the, the Google search or, you know, that some friend of a friend. No, of a sit friend down and talk to them and make sure that that you feel yes. that you're being heard by this person, that you yes. can trust this person, that they're actually there for you. And, that, and a, I think yeah, also they, into what you said earlier about intimidation, someone that you feel comfortable with, that you feel that you don't feel intimidated by. If you feel intimidated, you should probably choose someone else. Yes. And that's what I'm trying to say that, you mm -hmm. know, if, if, you know, if, if your best friend has been talking about their lawyer and you've been hearing about them and well, that that's then you have already a reference and a referral that makes sense. If it's someone, though, that is if it's someone, though, that that really you have no idea, like no idea at all. You know, for example, like who would know, like even I like I wouldn't know who's a better doctor. I, I don't know. I'm not in yeah. that world. Um, so I'd have to ask around and look into it and do my do your research. Find out the person that you will, who has the skill, who you can afford, and who has a strategy for you. So on the first meeting, you want to say, "This is my situation." You know, even send a little. Like I ask people to fill in a bit of a questionnaire before they come in, so I get some sense. I have two kids. I say, "Oh, well, this is this is how old they are. This is where they go to school. This is how much I make. This is how much." He so that you can say. So in the first meeting, and almost after so many years, I can tell you where the case will, within some parameters, end up at the end end of the day, just based yeah. on what the courts are now, what the laws are, yeah. and what they can expect. Sometimes people don't know that information. The client doesn't know that information. We can say, well, you have to collect all your information and do the work and get it done. Um, 
I do do that work for people, but it costs them a lot of money to yes. have to use a professional to go through receipts. And if you have those resources and you can pay someone or you can get your accountant to do it, great. But if you're like most people, you got to get that, you know, all those. Well, that was a, that was a, one of the first questions I asked my lawyer. And I think I have it right in my um, separation checklist that I send out to people is ask your lawyer which tasks you can do to help save money. And that was exactly it was, well, if you can collect the receipts and summarize them and just give us a final tally, that would be incredibly helpful as long as we know that you have the backup information in case we need it. Right. And it's like, I'll do that. Cause I don't, I mean, I can only imagine them having to go through it and, phone me and ask me about this and that. And meanwhile, I know what it all is. So I can like, okay, this is what this costs. This is what we spend on this. This is what the kids need, you know, and just give them the tally. Of course, I, you know, so, but that's an important question to ask your attorney again. It's Absolutely. like, how can I help keep the costs down? And also write the story out. I always, the, the chronology of the marriage, the roles okay. you both have with the kids, like do the narrative. Not only is it incredibly useful for me and don't edit, just Write, 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 get at the computer, write it. It's, it, it is cathartic. Yeah. It, it's very We talked cathartic. about this the first time we chatted. And I love that you said that, you know, yes, it's cathartic. First of all, I, I do a lot of journaling with my clients. Right. So I definitely have them write their story. But I would also think, you know, one thing is for them to take the time to cry and write and get all this down. They'll probably edit and cut some things out, whatever. Oh, yeah. And then you will read it, but you will read it much faster and with more clarity, probably like gaining more clarity about the situation than someone sitting and crying about it in front of you, which is probably what they'll do if they're mm -hmm. telling you the story in person. Absolutely. I think that's a brilliant thing for you. And, and, to and it'll also narrow the kind of questions I need to ask. Yeah. So I get the whole story and then I go, well, but you didn't tell me enough about this. So I can write back and say, just give me another couple paragraphs on that or Perfect. what really happened there. Tell me about that. And then people might write 10 pages. That's that isn't useful to me at all but it, it's good that they wrote it down mm -hmm. in, in terms of their process and when you talk mm -hmm. about dealing with emotions it's a good way to get it all out and and sort of get through the steps that you work through with your with the same clients but yeah. in a different way yeah so you know you're doing that with your clients if they don't have the advantage of having elizabeth at you know uh, available to them they can they can do it themselves and go to their lawyer to to assist them it's you you're you're a team you're getting advice um but you're and and you're choosing which advice you want to take and your lawyer's been through it like if you have anyone who's had been doing this for a while they will tell you what to do and what not to do yeah what not to do is it used to be he said she said now it's he wrote she wrote yeah so, so i can tell you as much as everything's now in writing the last thing a judge wants to do is read a hundred pages of printed out text. Yeah. Um, you pull out the important ones. Yeah. I do have clients who cannot distinguish what is important, what is not. It has to send everything to me and the guy pays to do it. But if you want to save some money, you know what's bad. Yeah. And remember, every time you're angry and ready to write that email or text back, remember, a judge could read it one day. Yeah. And always have that in the back of your head. Because you never want to look, you don't want to ever threaten, obviously, you never want to ever say that you're not going to see the kids or that he's at this or that or the other. Because even if he is, don't put it in writing. Because no, and I have clients who've made that mistake. Um, and they use it. They do. You know, things get adversarial. You're not the only one who's angry here. This is the other thing, too, that I, you know, I find so interesting. Sometimes um, my clients never seem to consider never it's an exaggeration but often don't seem to consider that their ex might be really angry at them that he might be hurt that this person might also feel really betrayed for a number of reasons emotions come from all kinds of places and you know as much as we empower women and no one's going to tell me how i feel and don't devalue my emotions that i just shared with you well let's not devalue what the other person is saying that he or she is experiencing as well. So, you know, we got two of them and everybody's just as entitled to feel it. And I think, you know, it's, yeah, there's so much that it, it actually blows up when no one is listening. And often the person who complains about not being heard is also the person who's not listening at all. 
Right. And, and I, so I usually, I, I'll often say to my clients, you know, your, your ex, you know what their buttons are. And I don't believe in pushing them, by the way, not when you're going through a legal battle, don't push them. So I'm like, just like you knew in your marriage, how to work around them, how to keep him calm, how to make her feel better, whatever it was, you're going to use this knowledge and you're going to keep, you're going to say the things that they need to hear so that they stay here and can make decisions that are better, you know, instead of fueling the fire by, but you did this or whatever, you know? Right. It's, it's interesting. I tell a lot of my clients um, that are in that kind of situation, the exact same thing. You know how to manage, you know him better than I do. Exactly. You know your spouse better. I don't know them. I didn't yeah. marry them. I didn't choose them and have kids with them. And I don't know that the person. And it's likely they've always sort of been like this. You know, they didn't yeah. wake up one day and be the ogre they became. Things took time to go through. So you know how, especially if you're, you're having to, to deal with children together. So there's an ongoing relationship after the initial yeah. settlement of the divorce or, you know, and the vast majority of people settle, literally 95% of people settle without a trial. They may start in court, et cetera, but it's very, very, very few. Um, so only the most difficult cases will go yeah. to court or one, yes, or ones where there's, it could be the lawyers, it could be the issue. Sometimes there's real issues that the courts haven't dealt with yet. There's a real how do we deal with that tax problem? Um, you'd hope that people would sit together and do it, but it could, it could mean millions of dollars or thousands of dollars. So people are prepared to go and have the fight. But managing, you know, sometimes you get more with, you know, you get more with honey than with you vinegar. Know, I believe <clears throat> if I had known then what I know now, I believe I could have managed him well enough to avoid our trial at the time um and I, I mean i know you're hearing one side and it's so mm -hmm. easy for me to say this but i can honestly say it, but the trial happened because he refused to he just refused to agree to any of the basic child support like it was just like the basic stuff like this is the law and it was just the refusal to kind of accept that that's the law and but that's then the law is wrong right that was that, kind of the mentality i mean so that's that small percentage of yeah. people that you cannot get through. And no. they do say that people, like there's about 10% of people have some kind of personality disorder. Yeah. But we see a disproportionate number of those people. And the court really is set up to deal with the average case. You make I know. X dollars, <laughs> you have two kids, you know, you have a little bit of a legal issue that needs to be resolved. You know, that's that's what they're, they're not there to deal with these awful high conflict difficult cases of alienation but they're the ones that end up there that's who ends up there and we try and we have a bench that you know now in toronto and there's some um uh, courts that have just family lawyers toronto we have family and other lawyers who deal with family cases we try to get most of the people who want who have done family in the past as lawyers then sit as family court judges. I mean, that seems ideal. People who did criminal should be doing murder trials as judges. People who did family should be doing family law cases. Yeah, I didn't even judges. realize that it was a luck of the draw until I went through it myself. So I, I can't remember how far ahead, like not very far ahead. We found out the name of the judge. Right. And I, I do remember um, my lawyer being quite pleased because he was, I believe he was a family lawyer. So right. We That's were dealing with right. someone who had a good grasp of that. But however, this was 15 years ago. Right. There was certainly not the same level of awareness of that imbalance and sensitivity to that. Um, at the time, just by the wording that the judge used, there was no question that he saw yeah. that he was being lied to, but he couldn't prove it any more than I could. Like it was one of those scenarios like, I have to go with what's in front of me here and with what's in front of me, this is what I'm ruling. Yeah. And, and But the courts now, they'll, they get it. They've seen so many. Yeah, I think they've so seen so many more. cases. And they, and you know, if I ever see a payor who has made more money post-separation, I quit. Like it's almost never, ever, ever, ever happens. Yeah. All the, and it could be that people, they're going through a very difficult time and if they 
you know, used to do a lot of overtime and now have the kids part of the time themselves that they're responsible for. So they can't do the overtime and you see their income post-separation go down and no one believes them. But if they're playing games, the court has is much more attuned to, and has better um, powers to get information. But in your case, I mean, if you have a spouse who you have children and says, I'm not going to pay support. I mean, then you're talking no, like it's nonsense. It's the, the judge is just going to go, what's your income? And then you start fighting about what the income is. But the fact is, as soon as you figure out the income, well, a judge will order it. Yeah. So, you know, and in, in my case, you know, he decided to quit a very high paying job, took a job with his dad and had him write a letter of um, um, like a proof of employment and income from his dad. And this was yeah. accepted because the lawyer said, I, I, there is nothing else for me to show otherwise. Um, and like I said, I remember he expressed disbelief that he would choose to leave a job here and take this, but uh, there was nothing. He His hands were kind of tied. And I don't know if that would have been any different now. And, you know, for people have asked me, like, was it worth going to trial? Uh, no, it wasn't. The money that both of us spent. And as much as I, you know, I, what I did get was I finally got like my half of a property. I finally had some medical expenses reimbursed to me. And I finally got the, you know, the support agreement. That's it. Right. So there, and there was some back pay that I also got right. stuff like that. So, I mean, I, but there was nothing beyond what the law was going to give me anyway. There right. wasn't some big windfall, but oh yeah, when my lawyer, my judge was so in favor of me, gave me this and this, and that did not happen. There was no sense of, you know, the, the courts fa favor the women. There was none of no. that. It was, he he dealt with what was in front of him. He took care of it, and that was it. Yeah. Today, they they we see judges imputing the the courts have have power to impute income. Yeah, so he did that too, and he didn't do it. Yeah. the 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 courts have the ability if if you voluntarily leave a job that is totally available to you to 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 do something at a much lower paying. Um, whether and with family, I mean that that just screams out as as yeah. as a, like just a made up thing. Yeah. Um, and did he stay with his family job for a year, and then went back? To uh, not to quite that level, but made a lot more money. Yes. And did you go after him for the the, no. the increase? No. Okay. And I will tell you, you know, um, I had I had friends and people around me who cared about me and literally like every six months my best friend would call me and say Elizabeth you got to do something about this and I just I couldn't I couldn't go through the, the process again it had been horrific those three days in court like in trial it was it was awful and the whole experience was awful at this point my kids were you know between 13 and 20 yeah. I just they were already so marked by the conflict between us and to then go to them and say, yeah, so I'm going to go back to court now. I can take your dad back to court to get some more money off him. There was nothing about that. That felt right. I was, just, I was, it's just kind of determined, made me more determined to succeed on my own and to right. find my own way to supplement that. Um, and that's what I did. I just never, it, never wanted to go back to that. It was, a, it was an awful journey. Like it was there was nothing about it that was good. Yeah, the litigation fatigue, we call it. Like, it's really, you yeah. know, and, and our legislation, our child support legislation, child support, specifically says that annually you're adjusting the support based on income. And that's what the legislation says. And they don't follow up, though. Almost no one comes back. We thought in 1997, when the guidelines came out, we thought there'd be a floodgates. We had to put in systems in the court. We thought every year, all these people will start coming back. If you'd been there once, no one was coming. <laughs> the people, no. I mean, obviously, if, if, if it's in your agreement that you exchange income tax returns each year and then adjust each year, that's the typical arrangement. But even when that happens, people don't do it. They throw that agreement in the in in the drawer. They don't want to deal with it again, and they're in a bit of denial because they can't. It's it's too stressful. Yeah, no, and that was me. I could have gone back many times. Um, I can actually still go back. The court, the Supreme Court of Canada says even when the kids are are. Um, just in the last couple of years, in a case I was involved in, even after the the kids are. Um, uh, done, you can go back and recover what he should have paid because the because child support is the right of the child. So it's independent of either parent. It's the right of the child. So for example, I have a case now where a guy was separated. He has three kids. 
he does very, very well, but he was preyed upon by a, a person who knew how much money he had. Uh, it happens a lot with professional athletes and they have a one night or two night stand and with Without pregnancy and they have this child and it's a, um, it's a bit of a, a, a payday. And, uh, you know, it, I, I always get mad at these guys. Wear um, a condom, right? <laughs> yes. Although there, but I was watching a, a show the other day and there was a big fight between these people because the man took off the condom and the, and the woman took it and the woman wanted it, wanted the condom. And the guy said, I'm not giving it to you. Like after they were finished, I'm not giving it to you because he knew that his, his semen was still in the condom. Oh and my God. She was going to use it. She goes, I'm not giving it to you. And, and it was very funny because my husband said, cause he was watching when she goes, Oh my God, I never, that never even, that never, it wouldn't even come into my mind. Cause I've told him that these things happen. And he goes, I just thought that that was not a thing. That's but insane. That's TV. so deceitful. So deceitful. We've totally. And, but that uh, the child gets born and the court will always, at least in Ontario, remaining courts will always say, that however, that child emerged, you know, maybe if it's, a, you can really prove deception, but people have tried. People have really tried that. Well, the, the reality is that that child is still entitled to support and, and by both parents and both yes. parents consensually entered into that union, right? Uh, not with the intent of having a child, but you know, this, like, where would you draw the line? Because maybe, right. maybe a condom breaks, you know, right, exactly. so where do you draw the line. Exactly. Where, you know, and maybe not, no one wanted, but a, a, a gentleman did in those similar kind of circumstances say you know she deceived me she told me she was on birth control it was an issue i told her i didn't want children this was part of our arrangement that she would use birth control and i would use birth whatever and 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 this child emerged and she tried he tried every which way to get compensated for the deception it was truly a deception but the court went the baby's here you got, we got the court has an obligation to pr protect, protect children, child, disabled yeah. people and, and people who can't take care of themselves yeah. like children. So they will always intervene yeah. Yeah. for the child. No, you know, it's, um, you know, there's no question that the family court system as any court system gets abused by people who know how to do that. And it's unfortunately always the ones who don't have good intentions who who mm. misuse the system and it does seem like it's too easy for them to do that there's not enough stoppers in place mm. i have um uh, an acquaintance who i actually interviewed for the podcast a few weeks ago and she had a horrible case in ottawa and uh, her her personal case and um the, one of the 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 big checkpoints which just where the system failed both of them really because of everything that went down was this constant acceptance of delays so you know there's there's a, a trial a pre-trial date you know a trial conference set and you're supposed to have abc documents in order before you attend and then the judge looks at this and, and could potentially make a ruling but one party shows up without said documents or hasn't prepared and the judge goes, okay, I'll give you a 30 day continuance or delay or whatever. And so then, then we do this again. Well, that keeps happening. There seems to be no time where a judge will say, well, too bad. So sad. You have lots of opportunity. We're going to go with whatever documents and numbers she's given us or this person's given us. And you're just gonna have to abide by that because of the only numbers we have and we're done waiting. And I, I believe that that's one of the little things that the court system can do to to prevent this abuse of the system, because bring in your financial disclosure. And if you won't bring it in, we're going to take hers as or his, whatever, like the other persons who prepared it. We're going to take them at their word and we're going to we're going to proceed with those numbers. I think if that happened, you'd see people comply big time. Well, there's they're really trying. So um, because there's always a balance because some people sort of just can't get their act together. You know, some people are intentionally not providing it and some people are just, they can't. They just, for whatever reasons, they may be having emotional problems and they can't collect all the things that they need to collect or they, they just can't. Um, so that's when they need someone to help them, whether it's a lawyer or otherwise. Yeah. But now when you start a court proceeding in Ontario, 
um, it's, it's think, I believe it's throughout Ontario, but certainly in the Toronto court and the, the, the courts around Toronto, you can get a autom what's called an automatic order. And the order, an order is issued on the day that you issue your application that you have 30 days to provide your your financial statement, your income tax return, your basic. But what happens if you don't? If you don't, then there'll be costs against you at the first appearance, or maybe you won't be able to have the first appearance right away, or the like the first appearance of the first step being. The but case will there be costs against you, or could she, there be costs? There could be. Yeah. Right. But the judges are ordering costs more and more. Okay. Part of the difficulty is people come and, you know, one site says she didn't do this. She didn't do this. She didn't do this. And then he says, yeah, but I just got it. Or I just changed lawyers. There's always some reason. But there why. comes a point where one just of has course, to say, I get that. Yeah. And they will get to that point. But even if it takes too long because our court of appeal, like the lower courts will say, we're going to what we call strike your pleadings, which means you're out of this case and we're going to rely on just the other side because you can, you did not do what you were supposed to do. So you don't even have you, you don't even have an opportunity to present your case. And I think that's what you were getting at mm -hmm. to get to that point. You sometimes have to go to court for 10 times and then the court makes the order and then the court of appeal will say you can't. That's not fair. You should really that's but not this fair. is this is how the abuse happens though. And, yes. and that is abuse that's facilitated by the courts. The courts are are sitting there and complying with the abuser and not with the person that's being abused. Right. And and I think that that's one of the areas where there just needs to be a fairly drastic change. And right. the you know, in, in a perfect scenario, in my opinion, um it's you enter the court system to resolve a particular dispute, like you said earlier on. Something, you know, everything else has been settled, but there's this thing that just they can't agree on or they need some help with. And so you go and take care of that. All documents must be ready by the state. If they're not ready by the state, then the ruling will be made on what is presented. And that's just the way it is. I think that would eliminate so many. Um, because, and then there's all the pre-trial conferences. My God, I couldn't tell you how many I went to. And yeah, I couldn't they, tell you how many times my lawyer said, 95% of all cases get settled. Is it settled? Right, right, right. They yeah, all no, settled. not me. But, um, and my ex tried all of those too. He was like, oh, my accountant has cancer. And, you know, the, the, and the, it's the, like, or the lawyer, the lawyers having a baby. or the, Yeah. The oh, there, oh, there was all, all kinds. So my, my lawyer was very like, okay, but does, does your accountant not have anyone hold, holding the business? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we're trying to get that. It's like, oh, come on. I, I knew this accountant. He, you know, the accountant, when we separated, decided right. he could only go with one of us and he went right. with him. But I mean, I know what he was like. He was our accountant for 10 right. years. This was not a man who would have left my ex hanging it was just right. an excuse, but right. of course there's always going to be an excuse there's always yeah. going to be something but that's that what needs to be nipped like it's just yes. that that loophole that opportunity to go sorry i'm not ready um mm -hmm. needs to go away but you know i am um, uh i i think you know we should probably wrap up our, our conversation sure, sure. today we've talked about so many uh, important things and i know that my ladies will really really value your incredible advice is there something that before we finish today, anything you want to leave them with, like just something for my ladies, like advice yes. or a tip? It, 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 this too will pass. <laughs> I have found that in almost every single circumstance, when I meet people two years later, three years later, they always say, you told me it would get better and it did. Yes. And, and it will, you do will get past this. You will recover and and you will sometimes actually have an okay relationship with your ex. Um, it does come back around. And the sooner both of you can, and in those circumstances where it can happen, there's lots of circumstances where it can't, it'll be so much better for the kids. Absolutely. You know, you, you don't have to be friend, best friends. You don't even have to be friends. You just have to work together. Be civil. And be civil. Yeah. Say hello. Goodbye. That's it. You know, you don't have to be best friends to make the kids happy. Just be nice to them. And yeah. they should be nice to you back to your spouse. And your kids will see that and they'll feel more comfortable. Oh, it makes all your, the difference. All the difference in the world. And sometimes you got to bite your tongue. Sometimes you really got to bite your tongue. But it's it'll it'll help you in the long run. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Cheryl, thank you so, so much for your time today. You are a wealth of knowledge and I feel like we should definitely have you back. There's going to be so many more questions that I'll want to ask you, but I love the work you're doing. And I think working with someone like yourself, who's had so much experience um, is, is so beneficial to, to people going in, you know, and I love what, I love everything you've said, but especially, you know, making sure that you're connecting with the right lawyer, the person who's right for you. So whether you are in, you know, I, I know you guys are, can only work in certain areas and yours is obviously Ontario, but no matter what, the advice that you've given here today is general and applies to anyone almost anywhere. So I really appreciate your time and I will be including her contact information in the show notes below. So thank you again, Cheryl. And um, thank you so much, Elizabeth. It was wonderful speaking to you. and I'm happy to uh, do so again in the future if you want. I would love that. Okay, thank you. Okay, take care. Such a great conversation with Cheryl. I know I'll be definitely inviting her back again. I love speaking with professionals who have been in this field for a long time. Their advice is practical and truly helpful. I loved how she said early on that a lawyer can pretty much tell you where you will end up at the very beginning. What a great place to start, just asking your new lawyer, where do you think I'll end up? I also love what she said about doing the work on yourself so that you can navigate the legal journey without emotions interfering or taking over altogether, which happens often. And that is again why I would love to see you at my retreat in June. What an opportunity to really have some impactful healing and inner growth so that everything can feel a little easier when you go home, so that you can manage your family, manage your life, manage the the legal journey and everything that comes with going through a divorce. I mean, let's face it, it can either be a launch pad to a whole new life or it can be quicksand that just sucks you in and holds on to you forever. What do you want it to be? Well, show up here in June, June 16th to 18th at my Lake House Retreat and I'm pretty sure you're going to feel like you are launching into a beautiful new life that you are creating for yourself. I will see you then and you can find all the information below. And that's it for today. I wish you the most beautiful day and I will see you next time.